The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. The, uh, it's really cool, as we look through this, we're going to get to see the, just the gospel on display. Even, you know, just singing through that, it's just awesome. Um, and even with this sermon that we're looking at in Acts 13, the, the main point that is so exciting, that is so good, is in verse 30, where it says, But God raised him from the dead. And, and what, what I really want to, I want to challenge y'all with this morning is that, is that we make sure that as, you know, ch- church people, right? I mean, you guys are here with a youth group. You are, you are youth group kids. Let's make sure that we don't forget the gospel. I mean, that's, that is this, that is what he's He's challenging these people, right? We talked about these are Jewish people, right? They're meeting in Jewish synagogue. They are faithful worshipers of God, but they'd miss the gospel. At this point in history, right, Jesus has risen from the dead and they're still stuck in Judaism. So they missed the gospel. They they were God-fearers and Jews, God's people, but they weren't Christians. They weren't believers. And I, and there's, and so we're going to get to see how God has worked through this. And what I want, you know, just to recap what we talked about last night, right? That God is in total and complete control over everything. And what we're going to see this morning is that all of history, all of it was pointing towards the gospel. All of history from the beginning was pointing towards Jesus as our savior, which is awesome. And let's, I also want to time out for just a second. As we think through this, I don't know if there, if you guys are like me, but for me, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church and I, it's, it was really easy for me to take the Bible and Christianity and the things of God to take them for granted and to not love them like I should, to not love Jesus like I should. And in fact, I got so, there've been times where I've gotten so caught up in, you know, yeah, well, I'm a Christian, this is all true, and I forget, like, I, to be honest, like, my, I get challenged a lot, and I talk about this pretty often, that my faith, I feel, a lot of times I feel like I have a really weak faith, because I need to constantly affirm myself that this is even true, like, I'll step back, and I talk about this some at the men's conference, where I, I have to step back and think, is any of this even real? Because what you guys need to understand is that Christianity is very hard to believe. It's hard to believe. And it believed because it's miraculous, right? We believe, we really do believe that an all-powerful, eternal, invisible God spoke and made all of the stuff that you see. That's crazy. We also believe that this God who did that decided to become a baby, Mm -hmm. live a perfect life, and then die. Isn't that crazy? 
We believe in a religion where the creator of the universe became the weakest thing in the universe and then died. And if that wasn't crazy enough, came back alive. Isn't that crazy? And what, what I want to... What I want you guys to think about is instead of thinking, man, this is really crazy. How in the world can this be true? Let's, let's think about the fact that Christianity is the most obviously not man-made religion. What I mean by that is even we talked about last night. Like, it's so obviously not man-made because there's so many things in it that are totally unexpected. This is not what man would do. And like man would make a, a religion about me, about everything that I could get for me. Fame, money, power, all of that should be me. And then like have a good life now where I'm in control and power. And then at the end, I'm going to have an afterlife where it's all about me. Which if you want a good example of that, look at Mormonism or Islam which are just obviously man-made, right? A man is like, you know what? What if I could come up with a religion where I, the only way that women could be a part of it if, is if they were married to, you know, me. And then at, in my afterlife would just be me with a bunch of women. That's, that's really obviously man-made. Now, a religion that's not man-made would be filled with suffering where you're called to suffer because the originator of the religion was called to suffer and would say stuff like, if you want to follow me, you need, you need to die. You need to, you need, you're, you're, the Christian life is characterized by carrying an instrument of execution on yourself. That when Jesus says, you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. So as, as we look through this, even like with God and the people of Israel, that's so unexpected, right? I'm going to make you a great nation. That's awesome. I'm going to give you blessings. That's great. Everybody in the world is going to be blessed through you. Woo! You're going to be sojourners and slaves in a land not your own for 400 years. Huh? Oh, yay. Thank you for this blessing that you've given to me and my children and my children's children and my children's children's children. Yay. Right? It's crazy. And even as we look through, like we're going to be looking through, we're still going to follow along. We're following the people of Israel to Jesus. We're going to see that the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament has predicted a Messiah, a Savior, right? You guys remember that? That happens. And do you know, and this is where we're going to have to get interactive, and I know it's early in the morning, but sorry. It's the only time we had. Um, Do you know what kind of Messiah, the people of Israel were expecting, what did they think the Messiah was going to look like? Kingly, warrior. Yeah, that's exactly right. And do you know why they thought that? What's that? They want him to come down and save him. That's right. Do you know any other reasons they have any indication that there was going to be like a kingly warrior savior? They did. It's in the Bible. In the Old Testament, right? You guys, do you guys, you guys know, you guys know about Christmas? You go, okay, good. Whew. I got some response. You know, a lot of times at Christmas time, we read Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. Do you guys, you guys, do you guys do that in your church? Do you guys read? Okay, good. Whew. And the, the, one of the most popular ones 
It says, in his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the government will be on his shoulders, right? And he's going to have this kingdom that's going to last forever. I mean, so the people of Israel, they were looking for, we are going to have this king, this ruler, this God who is going to save us. But they weren't expecting Jesus to come the way that he did when he did the first time. So let's follow through this and let's walk through. I mean, let me find, let me find my notes where, we're, where we are. All right. So we already talked about how God made them great, which I just love the way that Paul says that. He made them great during their stay in Egypt, as if they went there to stay, like it was a bed and breakfast. Oh, went through, we had a nice stay. It was great. They gave us a bunch of gold when we left after 400 years of slavery. All right? And then it says, and then he, after destroying, this is where we'll start, uh, verse 18. And after about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Again, I just like that, like a dad with his children. I'm going to put him putting up with them. And, and it's right. They murmured and they complained. For 40 years, even though every morning magic food came up from the ground and they had enough to eat for the day and sometimes birds would just fly in so they could just eat them, they still murmured and complained. He put up with them for 40 years. And then it says, after destroying the seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So this is God's people getting to see God's promises come to fruition, right? They were sojourners in a land, not their own 40 years. And then they're going into this land. And it's awesome. When they go into this land, um, let's, uh, I'm going to read some passages out of Deuteronomy because it's just like the best book ever. Deuteronomy is a series of sermons written to the people of, that Moses delivered to the people of Israel right before they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, verse 30, he says this, The Lord your God who goes before you, will himself fight for you, just as he he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, um, and in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God has carried you as a man carries his son all the way, um, all the way that you went until you came to this place. So God is taking care of his people. He's getting ready to prepare this land for them, and this land is their inheritance. It's a really big deal, right? And God is going to be the one that fights for them. And look at the land that he's prepared for them. You, you can't help but get excited to, when you read this. In Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 10, he says this. And when the Lord your God... Okay, remember, these are people that in their lifetime, they've just been wandering around in the wilderness, have not had a home. They haven't had a place. They've been living in tents for 40 years. And before that, they were slaves. Okay? So imagine... You'd lived your life as a slave. Finally, you're set free. And then you don't. And then what? And then you wander around for 40 years. How great would it be to have a home? Wouldn't that be awesome? And look at this home that God's prepared. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, we talked about that last night, to give you. Look at how he's describing it. With great and good cities that you did not build. And houses full of all good things that you did not fill. And cisterns, which is kind of like a well you get water out of, that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Isn't that amazing? This is a fully furnished inheritance. They're, they're moving into houses that already has stuff in them. They look at, because if they, uh, do you guys, have you guys ever gardened? You don't, you don't just plant food and the next day get it. 
And if you have ever had fruit trees, fruit trees take forever. You know there's a Chinese proverb that says the best day, the best time to plant a fruit tree. Do you know when the best time to, to plant a fruit tree is? Yeah, five years ago. And look, that's what's happening. And he says, when, the, when God gives you this, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And in his name you shall swear. Isn't that crazy? And remember we talked about last night? What'd they do? They forgot. They had, they moved into homes fully furnished with fruit and vegetable, olive trees and fruits. I mean, amazing, everything that you could imagine. Cities built up that were theirs, that God opened for them, and they forgot them. And it's good for us to remember that when they were doing that, when God was bringing them into the land, he was fulfilling a promise to them, but it wasn't because they were godly people. It's because he was godly. God brought them into this land and gave them his inheritance, not because they deserved it, but because he wanted to bless them. And we need to think about that because that's what we, and this is for you. You know, this is Paul preaching to Jews, right? So it's the same thing for a Christian preaching to the church, right? And you need to remember, that's, this is so important for us. We can't just be like, man, I can't believe those Jews, Right? They had cities, houses, grapevines, uh, grape, grape olive trees, and they forgot the Lord. Yeah, but what about you? What about me? Because they had this inheritance that was a land. We have an inheritance that's an eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God. And how quick are we to forget that? He's going to get to that. Um, well, let me just look at this. J- and just like the children of Israel didn't deserve the land, so we don't deserve salvation. You need to understand that. In Deuteronomy 9, really awesome, Moses wants to make sure that these people don't think, you're so great, God's blessing you because you deserve it. He says this, Deuteronomy 9 verse 4, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust these nations out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. He says, don't think that. Whereas, it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Right? Remember, these were pagan idolaters. So he's punishing them. Not because, and he, in case you're wondering, he repeats it. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land, but because of the wickedness. This is the first reason. The wickedness of this nation, of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And number two, that he may confirm the word of the Lord that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And that's where we need to realize, even for us, it doesn't matter that you've been a member at Pitts Baptist Church since you were born. That has no standing in God's eyes. Do you understand that? It's not okay to be committed to the idea of Christianity. It's not okay to be committed to your church if you're not committed to Jesus. And let's, just like God gave the children of Israel everything they could ever imagine, so we have been given more than we could ever imagine or deserve, and we need to not forget the Lord either. So he goes on. And then look at how, how God works through this, right? So in, in verse 20, all this took about 450 years. No big deal. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. See how God is working near the time of the judges? Remember, it's in the Bible after Joshua, because Joshua 
fought the battle of Jericho. 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 Anyway, so after that, we see the period of Judges. And again, we see God is in control. He's bringing up people for his purpose, and then he's bringing up someone else after it. So he brings up the Judges, and if you read through the period of the Judges, man, it is a dark part in Israel's history because they repent and they follow the Lord for a minute, and then they go to idolatry again. And then God brings them someone to rescue them, and they follow the Lord, and then they go to idolatry. And they follow the Lord, and they go to idolatry. It's so sad. So that happens until he brings up Samuel the prophet. And then Samuel like, is, is awesome. He is, he is a prophet who speaks for God. And were the people of Israel content with that? No. Any time the question, were the people of Israel content? The answer is going to be no. Isn't that crazy? They had this man who was speaking for God to them. And they're like, can we just get a king? And, and they even said, we want a king like the other nations. Look, he says, um, uh, yeah, then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he'd removed him, he raised up David to be their king. Right, and so even when this is happening, when Samuel, when, when Samuel goes before God and he's like, they're asking for a king like the other nations. What is, do you know what God tells him? Do you remember? He says, okay, we'll give them a king. And I want you to know they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king. And what's crazy is God prepared this beforehand. Again, back in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, he, uh, God says to the people of Israel, you're going to ask for a king. In uh, Deuteronomy 17 verse 14, when you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it and you say, uh, and, and, and then say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers um, you shall set as a king over you. You shall, min- you shall not put a foreigner who is not your brother, only he must not acquire. Listen, this is crazy. And God, God knows us so well. He knows the human heart. And so he puts laws and rules and statutes in place for us because he knows where we're going to sin. And so he's saying you're going you're to have a king, and that king is going to want to be like all of the other nations around you. And so, what, what, what's a bad king do? Does a, does a bad king care for himself or his people? He cares for himself. And that's what he's saying. Don't do that. He said, don't let him acquire many horses for himself or to cause the people to return to Egypt and, and to acquire many horses. Since the Lord said to you, you shall never go that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. What? Okay, so what's he saying? If you're going to have a king, but make sure he's not getting too many horses for himself. And do you know what, um, in that time period, do you know what that was really talking about? Having a bunch of horses? It's like military power, right? That, so is, is this power. So you need to have a king, but he doesn't need to be looking for power. But then also he doesn't need to have a bunch of wives, right? So we've got power, and then this is like, sexual fulfillment, right? Don't let a king be so consumed with his sexual fulfillment. And then, so not power, not sex, and then he needs to not have a bunch of silver and gold for himself, which is money. Make sure that if you set up a king, that he's not controlled by power, sex, and money. 
But instead, what he should be controlled by is God's word. That's what he says. So when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he shall write for himself a book, a copy of this law. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping his, his laws and his statutes and doing them. And that his heart may not be filled, be lifted up above his brothers. And he may not t- turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or the left. And he may, so that he can may continue long in the kingdom and his children in Israel. And then we get to a sad period of the kings. Because you know, their first king is Saul. Right? You guys remember that? And you know what Saul... So, do you know why they wanted Saul to be king? Anybody remember? What's that? No. Uh, why did they choose him? Do you know why they chose him specifically? His qualifications? He was tall and handsome. Like Kevin Knight. He probably wasn't. So, you know, he had some issues. They obviously had some flaws. Yeah. Not everyone can be, obviously. That's, that was it. We need a king. Let's find the tallest, most handsome person around. You'll do, Saul. And... Did he follow the Lord? No. He multiplied horses and wives and gold and silver. And so, then God put someone in his place, David, a man after his own. That's what he says. I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do my will. And then this is the best part of, because David was awesome. Now, David had lots of flaws. We, you, you can't get away from that. Just... And we're not going to, we don't want to um, exalt all of the flaws in David's life. But when the difference is when Saul was confronted by God's anointed, he fought back and he dug in his heels and he responded in pride. But when David was confronted with his sin, do you know what he did? He repented. Man, Read Psalm 51. If you want to ever really live out and feel what true repentance looks like, Psalm 51. It was David after God confronted him. And that's why we see David as a man after God's own heart. Now, does that mean that he, he was perfect? No, of course not. But he responded to God. That's, what we, that's, that's huge. We need to think through that, right? And, and then, but the most important thing that David did, the most important thing David did wasn't like bringing glory to the nation and having this united kingdom all together, uniting the 12 tribes. That wasn't the best thing that he did. That was great. It wasn't that he prepared um, to have uh, his son rebuild the temple. That, that was great. But the best thing that we have for David is that David was an ancestor to Jesus. And that's what he says. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. So we see What's God, what God do? God, he raised up Egypt and then brought and used them to make his people great. He raised up Canaan to build this amazing land for his people. And then he fought for his people, brought them into that land. And then he brought, um, he raised up judges to redeem his people and then replaced by Samuel. And then Samuel was replaced by Saul and then Saul with David. And then we take now, he's just going to take about a thousand years. Just cut that out of the history. Because next we get to John the Baptist. And God raises up John the Baptist. But does he raise him up for himself? No. He raises him up to point to Jesus. And this is where it's all going to come together. Before his coming, uh, John 
had proclaimed a baptism of repentance. All people, this is not the John, not the John Mark that left them on the ministry trip. Um, but then they reconciled, so it's good. This is John the Baptist. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. That's huge. Because these are God's people. And God's people, they're not supposed to be the ones repenting, right? They're God's people. But what did he preach? Repentance. And this is so good for us to hear. Because if John the Baptist is telling the Jewish people, you need to repent, how much more do we need to be reminded of that today? Our our salvation and our inheritance is so much greater than the Jewish people. So much greater. Right? Their inheritance was always pointing towards the inheritance that we have. That now scripture says this inheritance that we have is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept for us in heaven. So if the Jewish people needed to repent, how much more do we? And so he says, this baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, as John was finishing his course, this is amazing because this is another instance of someone after God's own heart. It's because when John the Baptist was preaching, there were many people, they thought, you must be the Messiah. It's you. Look at God has raised you up for this purpose. But no, he said, whoa, 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 time out. As John was finishing his course, he said, well, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he, no. But behold, after me, one is coming the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie, right? John got it. He was raised up by God so that he could point to Jesus. Then he says, brothers, this is now, Paul, back again in the synagogue. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Do you see that? God had been promising this salvation. In fact, God had been promising salvation since like the first gospel in Genesis chapter 3. God had been promising salvation. In Genesis chapter 3, that's when we see that um, Adam and Eve sinned and God is cursing them. And in the curse, he promises that he's going to send someone and it looks like maybe a virgin born son of a woman, which is amazing. We see this all the way, Genesis 3. And this man who's going to come, he's going to crush the serpent's head. This is the Messiah. And what, what we need to make sure is we need to make sure we don't pass up this Messiah. We don't forget him. We need to realize this is for us. Just like he's saying to them, he's been, this is for us. He says, that's what he says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of the salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. Isn't that crazy? The Jewish leaders, the ones who are supposed to be the ones who are saying, we are following God the most fully, they fulfilled God's word. But they fulfilled God's word by crucifying the Messiah. And that's crazy, because for us, right, there's prophecies, there are prophecies about you. You know that? Did you know there are prophecies about you? Jesus has said that every one of us is going to be judged by what we do with Jesus. And we're either going to be judged on the merits of Christ's righteousness that we have accepted as a free gift by, by believing in Jesus and confessing before Jesus receiving forgiveness. We're either going to be judged by the merits of Jesus or we're going to be judged by our own merits where we will have to pay eternally for our sin. 
And you are going to fulfill the word of God in one of those ways. The, the Jewish leaders, when Jesus was around, man, they missed it. And they fulfilled God's word, but they fulfilled God's word by crucifying the Savior. Look, he says, they, they, these are read every Sabbath, right? What have, they, what have they just done here? They had a reading of the Law and the Prophets, and then they asked him to preach. And, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of them, man, how crazy is that? They were doing what was written before them. They had it written in front of them. The Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be put to death. We, I mean, you read that. It's, in, it's specifically through Isaiah, right? Isaiah 53 through 55. We see this. And they fulfilled it, thinking that they were, they were serving God. They killed the incarnate Son of God. And they found, they, they cared to all those written of him. And they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And this is awesome. And then in reality, for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that's the gospel, that was promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He's talking to Jews. He's like, look, guys, remember all the way back, Abraham, right? Abraham, Moses, and then following through, Samuel, uh, the judges, Samuel, the kings. This, this promise that God has given to us, he's fulfilled it. And that's what you guys need to understand. We're living in the fulfillment of history, all of history is pointing towards Jesus. Um, I want to read real quick out of First Peter. In First Peter, uh, chapter one, um, I'm going to read the uh, starting in verse three. He says, "This blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance." This was mentioned earlier, an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then scrolling down in verse 10, he says this, concerning this salvation that's been given to the people of Israel and to us, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, these are the prophets who are writing the Old Testament. They're writing this out and they didn't understand. They, they, uh, the grace, they inquired, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories, right? Because when we read through the Old Testament, when we, especially now, because we can see it completely fulfilled, we read through the suffering Messiah and we know, oh, that's Jesus. He suffered, right? Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. That's from the Old Testament. And especially, I'm going to tell you this. You talk to anybody in the world, anybody, who's ever heard of Jesus or the story of Jesus and you get them to read Isaiah 53. You get them to read Isaiah 53 and they will know exactly who this is talking about because it looks like it's describing a Roman crucifixion, which by the way, when Isaiah was written like 800 years before Jesus, there was no Roman crucifixion. Isn't that fascinating? It was before, before, the, uh, before they'd invented crucifixion. <laughs> It's crazy. And that's why, do you guys remember um, when uh, Philip 
meets the Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading out of the book of Isaiah and he says, man, who's this about? Is it about him or someone else? And he says, oh, that's about Jesus. You read through Isaiah 53 and anybody who's familiar with the story of Jesus will say, oh, this is about Jesus. But it was written 800 years before Jesus. It was written 300 years before crucifixion. And it's crazy. And that's what he's saying, that even when Isaiah was writing that, he didn't know what exactly when Jesus was going to come or how this was going to look. And that's what it says. They, they were looking. It says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. When we read through the Old Testament, it's talking about this salvation that's given. This is for you, for you, for me, and for you. It says, it was the, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And even says, angels long to look in these things. Do you guys understand that? Man, we have been given the mystery of Jesus. And when I say the mystery of Jesus, I don't mean something that's still hidden, something that we're, oh, I don't know what it is. We know that what's been revealed. It's Jesus. Everything that all of creation, all of history was pointing towards, we have it in front of us. And this is where we need to make sure we don't take this for granted. This is where we need to make sure, just like, we, I mean, when John the Baptist is preaching, he says, he, he says to the Jews, he says, repent. He even calls them a brood of vipers, which I think is real bad. Right? And he says, you need to repent. And they said, oh, but don't you realize we're sons of Abraham? And he says, I don't care. That's paraphrase. What he does say is, if God wanted to, he could make sons of Abraham out of these rocks. That's no big deal. And so for you, you're like, well, but I'm a, I'm, I grew, I've grown up in a Christian home. I go to church. Who cares? If God wanted to, he could make Pitt's youth group kids out of rocks. What matters is, are you committed to Jesus? Have you repented? Do you live a life of repentance? If, if you're a Christian, it doesn't, you don't just repent one time and you're like, man, I'm glad I got that covered. And what First John tells us, that we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of Jesus' son will continually cleanse us from our sins. Why? Because we're living in dependence on God. And, and that's where, you, man, this is where it's, the rubber meets the road for you. Are you trusting in Jesus? Not just did you one time trust in Jesus, but are you trusting in Jesus now? Look at what he says. Oh, and then he says, this is, I mean, this is just awesome because he's given us interpretation of the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus. And so the second Psalm, he says, he's fulfilled this, right? As it's also written in the second Psalm. You're my son, today I've begotten you. Was that to, about David or about Jesus? Yes, we can talk about that some other time. And then it says, as far for the fact that he raised him from the dead, because you guys need to understand, this resurrection from the dead, that's not just a New Testament thing. It was talked about all throughout the Old Testament. We see little glimpses of it, sometimes like spotlights. How did they miss it? It says, he says, I will give you the, the, the holy and sure blessings of David. And therefore, he says in another psalm, uh, the Psalm 16, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Well, was that about David? No, it couldn't have been about David. And that's what he says. For David... After he'd served his purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and died. Yeah. And he was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption. So that passage in Psalms 2 and in Psalm 16, who is that pointing towards? Jesus. 
Isn't that amazing? And that's why they didn't get it, because they'd be like, well, that's probably about David. But that corruption part, I don't know. It's still David. (laughs) I don't know. Some things are confusing. But now we see, oh, that was about Jesus. And then we can be like, oh, man, all of this is about Jesus. Remember in Genesis 3, the, the Satan, like the serpent crusher? That's Jesus. Remember all those judges? Remember all those kings? They were imperfect. They didn't, they didn't live up to the task. Well, who did? Jesus. What about that inheritance? Wasn't it just a land that's gotten, that grew up with thorns? Yeah. It's because it wasn't about the land. It was about a true inheritance given to us in Christ. And then look at this. This is important. He's, and he said, But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Right? Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed through Jesus to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That's awesome. Now, was, is the, was the law good? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What, what Moses wrote, was that good? Yes. It's wonderful. But are you saved by keeping a list of laws and rules? No. And do you know why? Do you know why you can't, you're not saved by following everything that's written in the Bible? Because you can't. That's exactly right. That's heavy. Do you want to be righteous? Okay, two things. You could either fulfill the law completely or trust in the God who did. Isn't that crazy? It's the same thing. That hasn't changed. You can either fulfill the law completely or trust in Jesus because he has and he enables us to fulfill the law because he has put his righteousness in us. I'm going to read one other passage of scripture. um, I've completely lost my notes now. I'm going to read one more passage of scripture and then we'll close it out. Maybe two passages. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he's comparing the law of Moses that people were trying to follow to become Christians and couldn't do it and what we have in Jesus. He says, and this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, he says, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, that's the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. You guys remember this? When uh, Moses would go and meet with God, he would come out and his face would be glowing. That's cool. Is that glory? Yeah. But do you know what happened? As soon as he came out, it was bright. And you could see him, just bright glory. And then you know, as the minutes passed by that glory faded isn't that crazy and so he would cover his face because he didn't want people to see that that glory was fading because it was a temporary glory because it wasn't the end it was pointing towards something else and that's what he says um they couldn't gaze at his face because of the glory which was being brought to an end will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation the law which showed us our sin 
The ministry of righteousness, which is the gospel, and Jesus must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, which what once it had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was brought to an end, that's the law, um, came with glory, how much more, how, how, okay, much more will what is permanent have glory? And then look at what he, how he describes those of us who are walking with Jesus. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end because it's fading. But their minds were hardened. hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, right, that's the Old Testament, that's the Jewish people, that's who Paul's preaching to in Acts 13. When they read this, there is a veil. The same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Spirit of the Lord, now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, this is, this is amazing, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. This is what, how he's talking about the Christian life. That for us, we daily need to be beholding the glory of the Lord because we can. Because the veil has been removed. And this is just a beautiful uh, play on words, right? Because Moses held a veil in front of his face, which obviously everybody in the world is covering their face right now. It has nothing to do with that. But he would cover his face. But there was also a veil. Remember there was a veil in the temple. There was a veil in the temple where you couldn't go into the presence of God. But do you know what happened when Jesus paid for our sins on the cross? That veil is gone. Ripped in two. And now we have the ability through Jesus, to come into the presence of God. And when we go into the presence of God, man, he reveals to us our sin and we're called like gently as a father calls his children to repent. This is what needs to be happening in our lives. This is what needs to be happening in our lives every day. And my challenge for you is the same thing that Paul has here, is watch out. Beware. That's what he says right here. This is the last thing. And then we'll, we'll take a break and then we'll talk about this. He says, he says, for everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, watch out, caution, lest what is said of the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I'm doing a work in your days, a work you would not believe even if one tells you. What he's saying is you need to watch out. Don't forget Jesus. What did the people of Israel do? They forgot him. They were brought into a land that was amazing. It was a literal picture of the reality of what we have in Christ. And did they remember? No. They took it for granted. They said, we're Jews. That's good enough. And my challenge for you is you can't just say, man, I'm a church kid. I'm a... I'm a Baptist. I'm a member of Pitt's Baptist Church. That's not good enough. 
You can't put your faith in the, in the idea of Christianity. You can't put your faith in a church. You have to put your faith in Jesus. What we have is we have the revelation of all of history given to us in Christ. What an amazing, I mean, what an amazing privilege, opportunity. It's awesome. It's been given to you. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to allow yourself to be hardened and to turn away and to forget? Or are you going to be softened by the grace that's been given to us in the gospel and pursue the Lord, follow the Lord? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then Adam's going to lead us in a song. We're going to worship the Lord, and then we're going to talk about this. And man, be, be honest. We're talking about your eternal soul. What is You have been created for a relationship with God, and God has made himself available to us through Jesus, and how are we going to respond to that?